Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. never going to die. I'm going to live forever. I am invincible. Age will do nothing to me. I will never wear away. Disease, pestilence, famine, earthquake, flood, fire, the sword, invasion by enemies, civil war, <laughs> sudden death. I will never die. I cannot be defeated. You are flying high on the Kiss and Solak show. <laughs> I have never, by the way, said anything bad about Trayvon Hester Ever. Not even once by accident, not even by slip of the tongue, have I ever said anything bad about Trayvon Hester. And I believe I even said he would eventually tip a field goal that would hit an upright and bend the crossbar and then fall. No good. After Wendell Smallwood decides to Superman leap for a two-point conversion on a fake Philly special that probably was correct but was called not correct after Golden Tate with the Eagles traded a third-round pick for scoring a fourth and two touchdown throw by backup quarterback Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles. Like, what? what? The last 60 seconds of that game were psychedelic. They were trippy. I was hallucinating. It was the intersection of 45 cosmic realities. Stonehead. What a game. Aliens. It's the only way. We're all (laughs) going to live forever. And Ben alluded to it. But the Eagles win because they're up 16-15, and Trayvon Hester partially blocks the chip shot field goal from Cody Parker, survive, and advance. Parky. You don't even know his name. He used to play for us. How you doing, brother? <laughs> is, every, is every day, is this a good day to be alive? Because I feel great. I am also in shock. This is amazing. Here, here are the candidates for highlights of my day. Number one. Cody Parkey missing yes. the field goal to make the Eagles win. Number two, yeah. Golden Tate touchdown on fourth and two. Number three, Mike Quick, number one, recognizing me in like the guts of Soldier Field and like stopping me and being like, who are you? And I was like, I'm Ben Solak. Yo. He was like, I really love your podcast. And I was like, what the <laughs> f- did you just say out loud to me? I like Mike, you would have been so proud of me. I did the coolest, like, oh yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, people like my podcast. This is what happens. And in my head, I was like, these hands caught footballs for crazy. And then number four, uh, for the potential highlights of my incredibly very good, fantastic day, 
was walking into the locker room and hearing Avante Maddox, Corey Graham, and somebody else, a linebacker, I can't remember, losing their minds over the fact that 2-9, Tariq Cohen, was talking apparently an insane amount oh. of smack after that that oh. kickoff return about how the game was over and how they were they're like yo boys about to go home <laughs> well guess what two nine you're going home or five I just remembered five which I tweeted about was Brandon Graham was asked what did he like mess with Cody Parkey at all like in the interim between the first the the iced kick that made it and the missed kick and Brandon Graham was like yeah and Brandon Graham's a super happy guy he's always laughing he's always joking he was like I told Cody like you know Cody like. Don't overthink it, man. It's just a game winner. It's all right. Take your time. Like, you know what I mean? And I was losing. Yeah. Brandon Graham was so happy. And Chris Long's dying next to Brandon Graham this whole time. I'm positive it's true. Like, I'm, I have no doubt in my mind because Brandon Graham is a huge smack talker. Right. Meanwhile, Jenkins said that he was talking a ton of trash just trying to get into his head. So Brandon Graham was like, don't worry, bro. Don't overthink it. And Jenkins is like, you a miss, boy. Like yep. <laughs> The best quote about Cody Parkey came from Jason Kelsey. Who apparently, allegedly, claims did not even know Cody Parkey was the kicker of the Rams, which I do not believe. But if that was the case, the anonymity in and of itself is yeah. tremendous. Dude, it was a, a stellar experience of that game from stem to stern. And here's my, the, the, I, I said this on the, um, the preview podcast for the game, and I'll say it here again. I really don't care very much what the film looks like. I'm probably picking the Eagles to beat the Saints. At this point, I don't know how you can expect this team to lose i mean i don't like am i saying they're gonna win the super bowl kind of like that's how that works implicitly but <laughs> what i mean more more seriously is yeah they're nine point underdogs to the saints does anybody think that means anything other than no. the fact that philadelphia is absolutely going to take that to heart for a whole week and to make a big yep. narrative out of it timmy jernigan was espousing this massive like we've been underdogs all season narrative which is like objectively not true but more interestingly just speaks to the fact that like this team is so comfortable and so welcoming of being the sixth seed going into the one seed you know what I mean? like oh like like last year they had home field advantage this year they don't honestly it makes it worse it makes it worse it makes them nastier because now the point spread is even bigger and they they, they experience like the the uh antagonizing of the home crowd it's it's ridiculous. Like this team is so tethered to two ideas: one, that they are underdogs, and only the people in that locker room believe in them, and that makes them strong. And number two, mm-hmm. and this is the big one: that Nick Foles is a winner. Yeah. I have no idea how you're going to convince this locker room <laughs> that letting Nick Foles walk slash trading Nick Foles is the right idea. I have no clue, and it's yeah. nothing against Carson. It's just you have to take a team that has, at worst finished four and one in the playoffs with a quarterback at their helm that he isn't going to stick around like that's impossible you're going to lose your hold on the locker room when you do that as a gm slash coach slash owner slash whatever it is and then if you come out with carson in 2019 and you start to struggle boy (laughs) it's gonna get real very quickly this team and you can tell it in the way they talk about nick and you can you can hear it in nick when he talks during his press conference i sat for his whole press conference I can't imagine want like anybody who'd be more empowering to play for than Nick Foles. Like it's just when he speaks with so much earnestness and he's so genuine and he's so interested in the people on his team. Like like why'd you throw the Golden Tate fourth and two? I saw Golden's body language and it seemed like he was really ready to make a play. Like how can you not want that guy? That's extraordinary, right? Just the amount of faith that that is. So Ben, I played a whole press conference from Nick Foles for a BGN radio special because the press conference was so good and it didn't have much to do about football at all. 
Like, that's the one thing that yeah. Nick Foles, that has always stood out about him, just him, the person. And of course, his teammates are going to respond to that. Not only that, like you like you alluded to, they've done it before. Since his second stint, since being a Philadelphia Eagle, he is 4-1 and one in the playoffs. Not to mention, Doug Peterson, by the way, is 4-0 and oh in the playoffs. And I thought he did another masterful job tonight, let down by some of the execution in the first half. There were five plays that I saw in the first half that were turning points in the game, whether it be a third down conversion or a dropped interception by Trey Sullivan. There are five points in the game that didn't go to the Eagles' way. That wasn't because of That's Doug. That's huge. Doug outcoached Nick. Doug has never been outcoached in the playoffs. One. Right. Two. Right. With, like, this game ended 16-15. In my opinion, should have ended 18-15 comfortably i do not understand the wendell smallwood confirmed or stand whatever it was the ref was unclear uh, the ball like we were told from like always by every commentator if the front nose of the ball touches the white it's a touchdown i mean to me it was very clear but whatever should have been 18-15 you throw in the fact that trey sullivan dropped what was the easiest interception of all time that's 18-12 and nick Foles chucks a very dumb prayer yeah. into the end zone into like quadruple coverage i mean yeah 18 6. You know what I mean? Like, this is what we're talking about here in terms of like the Eagles outplayed the Bears significantly, and the score doesn't reflect that. But this team in the playoffs is very, very good. They execute incredibly well. So many clutch plays, so many clutch receptions. Offensive line is clearly taking a step forward. They've been in, in, in do or die games because you can translate it back into the, the, the end of the regular season. No team gets up for them like Philadelphia. And they're about to get a New Orleans Saints team who embarrassed them. The lowest point of their season. Mm. New Orleans coming off of a bye. Now going to be dealing with the ex-Super Bowl champions on a four-game heater. uh, Six of the last seven. Been at their best. Who have played their best football when they are underdogs. I'm not ready to say it yet because I want to go into the film. But Mike, I could easily see a game not dissimilar to the Vikings game in the playoffs last year. I could very easily see the Eagles walking into New Orleans and not only beating them, pantsing them for four quarters. To me, it's yeah. not even remotely out of the, the stretch of the imagination. I don't think the 2017-2018 Eagles ever got as hot as this team is right now. They they broke the barrier of the playoff win. They did it. They are now one of the four teams remaining left in the NFC, one of the eight teams remaining left. Who would want to play them? And a lot of people said that Seattle was the most dangerous like wild card team out of, out of the four wild card teams. It's obviously Philadelphia when they believe in themselves like this. How can you? How could you want to play the defending Super Bowl champion when they just came out and outplayed the Bears for 60 freaking minutes when nobody gave them a chance on the road, and they're going to keep doing it. It's it's incredible what this team has become since week 14 when they were all but declared dead with a 0.6% chance to make a... It's improbable that we're here. This team knows it's playing with house money. This team knows that everyone is doubting them. This team has been in this situation before, and that means a ton for this team moving forward. Nobody on the Eagles team right now is playing better football than Rasul Douglas. What Man. a freaking game Rasul had. Like, you want to know how good of a game Rasul had? Think about the times Rasul Douglas got targeted. That's how good really? of a game. You can't think of it. Right. And Trubisky was looking that way. They tried yeah. to go that way. Sewell in zone, Sewell in man coverage was fantastic. Quiet games from corners are the strongest games from corners. Like Maddox had a loud game. He had some good plays and he had some bad plays. Quiet game from Rasul Douglas. Rasul out of his mind. Nigel Bradham, who started the season woof, yeah. poorly. 
Incredible game. Flying around the football. And Bradham, I didn't realize until I was watching, is their dime linebacker. When they're in one linebacker sets, he is the linebacker on the field. He he plays that role over new. Hicks does. They said that's been going on since Hicks got back from injury. So, like, right. Bradham was taking that role when Hicks went down, and then he's kept it since Hicks came back. Yep. Fantastic play in that regard. And then I think you had... Brandon Graham had, like, seven pressure or something like that. He right. was disruptive. I think that you have a little bit too much right now going into the, like... Lane Johnson and, 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 and Jason Peters shut Cleo Mack down. I don't really think they did. Uh, I think Cleo Mack had some wins and the ball got out. I think Cleo Mack had some wins and, and the, you know, there was an escape or whatever. Cleo Mack had some wins. And they led to, like, quarterback hits and, like, you know, uh, affected balls and whatever. Uh, generally, Mack didn't have a, a stat sheet filling day or whatever. But I think the Lane Johnson, Jason Peters thing gets a little bit bumped up in that regard but it's what the it's what we talk about all the time the eagles do a very good job of taking your best guy and limiting him through one way or another whether it be through right. execution whether it be through lane johnson doing well against him or jason peters or just by getting the ball out quick or rolling away from him or like for instance they did on that slice with zach ertz having ertz block him for a second exactly. and leak out use his aggressive against them right yep you know to quote the me that's all that's a bad way of saying that what we said <laughs> on a previous podcast I'm very happy to to lock down Cleo Mack and make Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman beat us. And listen, Akeem Hicks did his darndest to beat us. Akeem yeah. Hicks played yeah. out of his mind. Oh, yeah. Akeem Hicks, Akeem, like, Fletcher Cox had a great game. Akeem Hicks had a better game. Fletcher Cox is yeah. a better player. Akeem Hicks was the best defensive lineman on the field tonight for either team. He was lights you out. You take away Mack, you make Akeem Hicks beat you. And then Akeem Hicks, yeah, sure, he's stuffing the run. You know, the Eagles are very unproductive in the running game. But... He's not a guy who's going to have the same pass rush effect that Cleo Mack is. And now all of a sudden you have the ability to work the football. Yeah, and there were times where Nick Foles couldn't step up into the pocket earlier in the game, especially because Akeem Hicks and Eddie Goldman were getting such a good push. And and just a quick shout out to this Eagles defense as well. The Bears early on in this game were trying to attack the seams against cover one and cover three. And they had some success. But Cravon LeBlanc had a doggone good game, had that big rip out at the end of the first half. He played really well. The defense played really, really well against those concepts. It wasn't until later on where they the stuff that the Bears had set up, then they started running the the sluggo against it. Or they would run that bubble, right? That fake bubble where you get the and guys running like blockers. behind it, right? And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what the number one problem with that sort of a thing is. I'm not trying to defend Maddox here or, you know, call back to a trope. It just really is the way that I think defenses work in that regard. You want your corner to play aggressively into a ghost screen. You want him to play upfield into that. Yeah. Like, if he diagnoses it, great. But generally, you just want him to key it and play on it. Otherwise, they're going to pick up four yards on the bubble screen every, every play, and you're screwed. Because you want the vice tackle situation. You want inside-outside leverage. Right. When you've when you want, when you've got... Uh, a slugga. Well, you want your off corner, who's a, a smaller guy, to have to play aggressive into that. That's his strength. Listen, if you like Maddox having that near pick on the sideline where he right. you know, should have caught it, incredible play, great click and close, then you have to be okay with him giving up the touchdown he gave up because it was a very similar outbreaking route concept, and Maddox went to go close on it. And then once he felt the out and up coming, he tried to recover, got the hold, pass interference, and it was a touchdown. Obviously, with time, you become better at picking your spots. You become better at you know, situationally understanding when it's going to be the out, when it's going to be the out and up. But I'm just saying, like, you know, you have to live and die by the sword a little bit. But when it comes to a lot of those isolation, multi-break routes, those ghost screens, all that outside stuff, it'd be really, really, really helpful to have a free safety who can take an angle. And Corey Graham can't take an angle. Yeah. I mean, they tried to play with Trey Sullivan high for as much as they could in the second half. 
but eventually they had to be putting Graham up there and let LeBlanc play on the on the on the field in in nickel sets. They started the game off LeBlanc off the field, three safety sets. But Sullivan is such a liability as a tackler and in coverage that they had to go back to LeBlanc. And they came out in the second half, and they're trying to leave Trey Sullivan single high, Graham and Jenkins up in the field, Maddox and and uh, what's his name, uh, Maddox and Rasul. And all right, that'll be our solution. And they're not able to do that. So they got to get Sullivan off the field. They put Corey Graham back there. And Graham, just for the life of him, can't get to the sideline. He just, he's not, at this point, fast enough. He doesn't take good enough angles. So you want your corner to play tight into that, like, ghost screen, for example. Two verticals coming up the field. Mattis goes to split them, which is, like, a good way of of approaching that. And then, obviously, the completion comes behind him. But when you have a more proactive free safety who can get connected to the seam, then your corner can drop off there to the boundary vertical, and then you can make a better coverage opportunity over it. And they simply just don't have that range of free safety right now. It's the biggest issue on the defense right now is is their ability to play single high and who's going to be out there. That's obviously going to be something that you have to watch against the Saints. And the Saints have a wide receiver, Michael Thomas, that – you know, nobody has, like, the, the the Bears don't have, I should say. That being said, Philadelphia went up against DeAndre Hopkins, and I think had a fantastic game plan for him. It was not dissimilar to the game plan they had against Michael Thomas. However, they were much, much more willing to cone, to bracket, you know, top-bottom Michael Thomas against the uh, Saints. And then also they wanted to double and bracket Alvin Kamara, and that left them one-on-one everywhere with little safety help. I think they have to bracket Thomas, and they have to be more comfortable playing Kamara one on one when we when we move forward. Yeah, I mean the pro- the problem was, and we can talk about it, you know, as we go into the previews. But the problem was there was you bracket these two guys, and then the other guys don't win their matchups because that secondary was not what that secondary looks like now. And Bradham wasn't playing like he's playing like now, as far as linebacker plays and coverage too. So the guys weren't able to win their individual matchups. They won a lot of their individual matchups this game. And I was watching the game with Seth Galina. We were doing that boothcast thing where we basically the booth for the game. They were saying there's not there's not a whole lot there downfield for Trubisky right now. And he's anything that is there, he's really not saying. And I wanted to kind of dial back too, because this game was about two quarterbacks being put in bad situations. The Eagles ran 23 times for 42 yards. The Bears ran 18 times for 65 yards. Like there was nothing there on the early downs, especially for the running game for either team. And like you look at the stat line for Mitch Trubisky and it looks okay. 26 for 43, 303 yards and a touchdown. But he, for very long stretches of this game, was not throwing it very well and should have been picked off. And what's it should have been picked off a couple of times. And what's crazy is the Eagles, and this is something we did not expect. I said, Trubisky, you know, the, the Eagles absolutely, one of the keys to the game, have to take advantage of the fact that Trubisky is going to throw them a couple. He threw them a couple. They did not pick them off. However, the Eagles turned the ball Listen. over twice. Bears do it zero times and the Eagles win. What in what world? By the way, how was your your broadcast? Because I didn't get to listen to it. Obviously, did you have a good time? Oh, dude, it was amazing. Me and Seth, we, we I th- I thought we crushed it, man. I I had a blast doing it and getting to right. uh, announce the the game losing field goal double poster. Uh, just fantastic experience. I had the time of my life. I was letting because I was in the Slack channel. I was hitting up BLG, and was, you were probably in the channel as well. I don't know if you were seeing it though, because you were busy. Just saying, man, I can't imagine Kiss right now going nuts over these dropped interceptions. It was his number <laughs> one thing coming into the game. It was like, listen, when Trubisky gives them to you, catch them. And they dropped yeah. two huge ones. But <laughs> it seemed like Maddox is like his left foot. Every time Seth said, I, I keep seeing the replay and I keep 
wanting to see that left foot just 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 drag just and then the left foot just never came down and Trey Sullivan right in his chest right in his chest and I'm thinking you and this is all in the first half these are the plays you absolutely have to make and now you're trailing at halftime you have to put Trubisky behind because you want to put it on him and and they didn't make those plays in the first half and it cost them and they were down at the half six to three and I'm thinking this game should be totally different right now it should be totally different right now. Uh, all, all things turn out well, but man, did Trubisky give us some chances, and he was not good. Trubisky threw some seeds, right? He had a he had some great throws too. There, there were some sprinkled yeah. in for sure. No, so he had a third, a, lo- a long third down comeback that he put in a really good spot, mm-hmm. and, and and Corey Graham collision, but the ball arrived on time and yep. it was a catch. And that was Taylor Gabriel, right? Yeah, that was a yeah. Great throw. The next play was it? It was a downfield route to Allen Robinson where he had a huge window and he just put it in there. To me, it's not really yeah. a, a super high quality throw. And then he had the the, the touchdown on the out and up to, against Maddox, which was a, a, a fine throw. It was a good throw again into space, and he left it a little bit behind. That curve on the Blanc pass breakup should have been a touchdown. That ball was left a little bit behind. He had uh, another pass breakup situation where he left the ball a little bit behind. And then yeah. on the um the penultimate drive for the Bears as well, he had or no, excuse me, the, the the ultimate drive, the final drive. He had the one good throw, but generally speaking, he was inaccurate. Yeah. He was uh, he had poor placement. He was throwing casual balls, but he wasn't having great placement relative to coverage for the entirety of the night. Yeah. And not unlike Deshaun Watson, with whom he came out in the class, if he's hitting his first read, little pump fakes, multi-break routes, he's got the protection, great. When he has to move his feet and adjust to a second target, it's really just not there for him. When he has to think, right. he completely freezes up. It's and obvious. It's, right. And it's why this is, we've, we've complained about this many times. Nothing drives me crazier than when Eagles defense is playing well and the secondary is getting pass breakups and there's pressure. And then there's already some easy completions and, and, and offenses start to move on the Eagles and teams out and play. People ask where the pass rush is. Nine times out of 10, the pass rush is exactly where it's been. But the first read isn't being taken away. Like, yeah. if you want your team to be a, a pass rush successful team who wins on defense because of the pass rush, literally, like, like what's the number one thing you need besides pass rush? The ability to take away the first read. Because that's it. since teams know that the Philadelphia Eagles are going to try to beat them in the pass rush, they're going to try to get pressure on them, they're going to try to win with four, they're going to try to rush the quarterback, that's how their defense wins, they're going to try to feed the ball to the first read and have a low time to throw. Like We talked about this a thousand times. So pass rush was there for four quarters. Pass rush never went anywhere. Avante Maddox started getting burned. And again, Avante, who's been playing stellar football, rookie fourth-round corner, who's out there playing outside corner after he played free safety, after he was supposed to be a slot in camp. So like... It's okay. Those shots were really well set up by Nagy. Like they really put oh, sure. those slant. They were hitting them slant flat, slant yeah. flat, slant flat, getting them, getting them to bite on them, and then they hit them over top. I mean, they they really right. set those up well. But no, I, I I fully agree in the sense that Trubisky had like the flashes that excite you, but there's a lot of development that's left there to be done. And if we yeah. flip it now, Foles, I thought this was probably the worst game Foles has played in the second half of the season. In terms of his Chargers game was better, his Houston Texans game was absolutely better. You mean the Rams game? So Rams game, Texans game, Redskins. This is his worst game. Eagles yep. won. This is a great situation. It's really great when your team can win when your quarterback doesn't have a great day. Like now, if Foles plays better and the rest of the team plays this way, sick. The Eagles are going to be like a continually stellar team, which they have been. There were five, legitimately five plays that turned this game, whether they got a, thir- a first down conversion the Bears did on a penalty. There were two in one drive or a dropped intercept. There were five plays you could point to that could turn the tide and at the very least turn the game script in this game. And for that to happen in the first half for a team that's a, a big underdog and to still come up with the win, if they play a clean game, they can beat a lot of teams in the NFL right now. 
I would say just about all of them. Uh, again, like, how could you... Uh, I, on paper... Two turnovers! Two turnovers! You lost, you lost a turnover battle by two! How do you First win time this the game? Bears have lost a turnover and lo- lost turnover battle and lo- won the turnover battle and lost all year. First That's time. crazy. They were undefeated <laughs> winning the turnover battle this year. And as you mentioned, they were the best defense in the league at creating turnovers. So, like, <laughs> ah! why again no we will never die like it's just it's invincibility um (laughs) turning from from uh so yeah trubisky to Foles, offensive game plan wise i was ranting a little bit about this during the game worth ranting about it here mike we love 12 personnel and always when we talk about personnel it often gets conflated with formation and like oh well there's like a 12 personnel formation you don't have to have certain formations out of 12 personnel why is that important that distinction because personnel in and of itself isn't valuable it's not like all right 12 personnel the eagles are going to win it's 12 personnel this is generating the matchups that the eagles want the eagles played very little 12 personnel tonight which we talked about the bears being a a team that have faced very little 12 personnel and as we said could be good because philadelphia could come out and give them a bunch of looks they don't know philadelphia come out force them to stay in base keep a third linebacker on the field which number uh 47 their outside linebacker isaiah irving was the guy who came out quite often for them and then they get attack in that regard. Or maybe on film, they've seen what the Bears do against 12 personnel, and they don't want to go out there like that. We talked about Alshon Jeffrey needing to have a big game because the Bears are going to give you backside man coverage. And if you can take advantage of that, win those one-on-one matchups, you can move the football. Yeah, and we saw some of that, yeah. So Philadelphia wanted that matchup very clearly. Entire first drive was backside man beaters. Whole first drive. Which yep. was really cool to see because I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Go team. <laughs> they ran the whole first drive out of 11. Whatever it was that they wanted to get on the field for the Bears, a team that lost their slot corner to injured reserve, a team who was putting out their, uh, you know, Sherrick McManus was out there for a little bit. He went down. DeAndre Houston Carson, their fourth safety, had to come out there for a little bit, play some coverage reps. He was able, they were able to pick on him. 11 personnel got Philadelphia the matchup they wanted, the backside man coverage. And after that first drive, in which the Bears had just stayed in one-on-one coverage on the backside constantly, they started leaving the safety on top of that. Not true double coverage, but instead right. of rotating to cover one or rotating to match coverage to like the three wide receiver side, they stayed in true split field so that they had a little bit of help over the top of that one receiver. Philadelphia responded with a few more outbreaking routes, a few more just like little quick slants to stay in front of that safety, but Philadelphia was able to get that backside matchup for the whole game and it wasn't just jeffrey either because i mean they saw it with nelson too on that on that right. comeback for the first down as well so they were getting it with guys zach Ertz multiple times they right. had yeah. zach Ertz back there as an isolated flex tight end and then so you have them doing that then philadelphia on the final drive comes out significantly more 12 personnel than they've been <laughs> running for the whole game right when they're when they're down by five and they're coming out with Nub tight end sets, which means three wide receivers off to one side or two wide receivers and a tight end off to one side, off the formation, and then one tight end in line on the opposite side. No wide receiver outside of him. A nub tight end very, 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 very frequently forces teams into zone coverage because it's true with run and pass strength reads. You put the running back on the same side as that, and now you've got two wide receivers potential to that side, and you know you're getting usually a cover three look to that side. And Philadelphia walked up the field. They had the little screen completion of Dallas Goddard, incredible catch. They had yeah. insane Zach Ertz catch as well on that drive where he caught it when he was in traffic and he was dealing with all that nonsense. And then they also had the Nelson Aguilar catch and run, which was a little flat, a flat idea as well. They very heavily leaned back on the cover three curl flat conflict concepts that we've been talking about. We've been writing about it from Bleeding Green. 
on that final drive out of 12 personnel. It looked like what they had done all season because they knew that they could get the matchups they wanted to in terms of forcing the Bears into that zone coverage. No Eddie Jackson playing was absolutely huge in that regard. So personnel is valuable in that it, it, it dictates matchups. Matchups are, 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 are team specific. They are game specific. Philadelphia's 12 personnel numbers likely for the first time in five weeks will We're be bad. going down into yeah. this game. They will be, they will be on the decrease, but Philadelphia got the matchups they wanted with 6-3 Alshon Jeffrey against 5-11, 6 foot Kyle Fuller and Prince of Mukamura, and they won them, and yeah. they were able to move the football in that regard. So, yes, we championed 12 personnel because we love the, the matchup nightmares it creates. The matchup nightmare for this game, as we discussed on the podcast, was that backside man coverage. Philadelphia identified it and attacked it. That's great offensive game planning. Like we said, baby, Doug Peterson doesn't get outcoached in the playoffs. And a lot of those two tight end sets... We saw like the YY wing, that double wing that they yep. like to run, and they were trying a bunch of runs up the middle. All of those were just getting stuffed by Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman, Trevathan had a good game. Roquan Smith with the interception, which wasn't Foles' fault. Like you could nitpick and say he could he could have put it out a little bit in front of Smallwood, but Roquan Smith came in, ripped the ball out, and the ball just lands in his in his lap. Oh, I think like, I think it, that was uh I thought that was Foles' fault for sure. Foles looked first read, saw that Goddard was capped going down the seam. And immediately mm-hmm. turned to his check down, burped the baby, which basically just brought Roquan Smith right to it, yeah. and then threw an inaccurate ball. Yeah, it was inaccurate, but it wasn't like an egregious throw. It didn't go right to Smith. It went to Smallwood first. Roquan went to rip it out, and it just so happens that it landed on front of it, you know, in him. It wasn't a interception-worthy throw in my mind. I didn't like the whole process, but you get what I'm saying. No, it's not. No, I think all it was interception-worthy. I thought it sucked. Really, you threw it. You thought he threw it right to because he went into Smallwood's breadbasket. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, it was, it was, I compared it to the Zach Ertz interception he threw against Houston, where he just led the sinking linebacker oh, yeah. to his check down. That right? was even close that to was, the that was a more. It was a more inaccurate throw. Absolutely. <laughs> the Texans throw was more inaccurate. I don't dispute yeah, okay. that whatsoever. But if you're going to lead the linebacker down to the check down, if you're going to lead him down to the curl by making it clear that's where you're going to go, throw yeah. a better ball. You know what I'm saying? That's all I'm saying. Um. Oh, no. Yeah. No, I'm not saying it was perfectly accurate. I'm saying if you want right. to nitpick it, then, yeah, it wasn't a great throw. So, uh, anyway. Fun fact? Yeah, fun Philadelphia fact. Philadelphia ran the exact same route concept. They ran against the Bears in 2017 to score a touchdown, and they scored yes. a touchdown on again in 2018. The spot, the spot concept with the copper route instead of the corner route, which would normally come with the spot concept. Yes, which, uh, find it on my timeline. We we can describe it, or you can find it on my timeline. One of the two, whichever you want to do. I retweeted it as well. It's on my timeline, too. Great job it's on my by Dallas Goddard. First. At the top of that route, so what you have is those two short routes spread out, and you get that horizontal stretch, and then you get the vertical stretch. You've got the matchup with Goddard and Adrian Amos, and of course, we're going to, you know, this is a little all 22 y that we usually save for the all 22 show, but it was an awesome play by Goddard at the top of his route, being physical, turning his man, Amos, towards the outside, and then having access to all of that space to the inside. Good trust throw by uh, by Foles. I think he let it go before he got out of that break. So really awesome to see Dallas Goddard coming through in a big moment in the playoffs and also the Eagles using concepts that have worked for them in the past that they use very sparingly, I will say. You just see that pop up every now and then. But Doug Peterson dialed that one up and it was a winner for him again as it typically is with that concept. So, Ben, uh, anything else you want to get to before we go to uh, three words? No idea why they kicked the ball to Tariq Cohen. It made no sense to me at all. And it was short and it was high, and he caught it on the run, and I'm thinking, that's not a great idea. That's the last, the opposite of things you want to do. 
Deshaun Hall had him had him and just completely whiffed on him. But that's the thing about having Tariq Cohen is that really often you don't, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> I think that what did what did you think about this? Before the Eagles scored the touchdown going into the fourth oh, down, good. They, they call they call a timeout. They have three timeouts. They're on the two yard line. They have three timeouts. If they don't make that fourth down conversion, they right. still have three timeouts to use to try to get the ball back. They said no. They call a timeout. They were all in on that and committed from that moment. Like, this is it. Sure. But if you feel like you don't have the play dialed up right and you want to have a conversation about what your veteran quarterback is seeing, then call the timeout. I mean, we're talking about fail getting the fourth down. You get three stops. You call three time- timeouts. Probably get the ball back around your own 40 with less than 50 seconds left with no timeouts trying to score a touchdown again. You know what I mean? Like, it, 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 it was very in the spirit of the the Philadelphia Eagles under oh, yeah. uh, Doug Peterson to call yeah. a timeout and win the game on fourth and two. Like, that's you know, this is what you do. You, you're down there. We'll score. You know what I mean? The first and second down runs, two things. Number one, yes, you run on first and second down. Absolutely. To me, that is an unquestioned decision. Force the Bears to use their timeouts. If you can't score in third and two and fourth and right. two, you suck. You should lose. That's number one. Number two... Foles had the option to kill kill to a pass if he wanted to. It might have even been a pass originally, and he kill kill to a run. He was a little unclear in the presser, but he had the option to run or pass depending on the defensive look, and both times he wanted to run, <laughs> and that was the best look. And also, it's worth noting, it's not like a kneel down. You can score on a running play. They didn't, which isn't surprising. Bears run defense is fantastic. I'm not taking. I'm not saying that, but you absolutely run in those two plays. And sure, yeah. like after the third down failed score. Yeah, everybody was getting a little skittish about that. I'm sure if they hadn't scored on fourth down, there would have been huge questioning about it. But 99 times out of three, you absolutely run that ball on first and second down. You have to take the Bears' timeouts away. Imagine oh, no, if they, I, they got down to the 35, they had to take their last timeout. Imagine they had two more timeouts. Definitely not at all questioning the first two runs for this for the reasons that you stated. You let the clock run. Let them use their timeouts. I mean, I was wondering at a minute 30 if the Bears were going to start calling their timeouts and they let it run down even more. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You run the ball for the first couple of times there to take that time down, make them use their timeouts, put Trubisky in a worse situation and put it on him. And, and I agree. The faith that you have that you're going to make it on fourth down uh, is incredible. So, yeah, if you want to have the right play call in there for Foles, and it was really just a matter of Tate's on McManus. Tate's got leverage. I'm throwing it. A nice, easy half-field read. The ball is going to take him into the end zone by nature of the, the, the mechanics of everything. So, yeah, I agree with that. I just thought it was strange when they first called the tight out. I'm like, well, this is it right here. There is no second chance. There is no coming back from this. You're going to have to live or die by this decision. But that's what Doug Peterson has always done. So I agree with you there. Uh, ben, let's get to three words. Obviously, the, the first one from Joe, hashtag Row got to go at JoeG4133. <laughs> the double doink. Man, let me tell you, my butthole got so tight. When it hurt, it, when it hit Ew. the first post, and then I saw it hit the second one, and like the camera did like a like a jerk thing. You couldn't tell which way the ball was moving, whether it was going forward or backwards, and you just see it land in the grass in front of the thing. What an incredible experience! Oh my god, Trayvon Hester, the second highest graded defensive player in the second half of the season for some reason. Don't you dare throw that back in my <laughs> face like that. 
Uh, Jeremy Fox at Jeremy and then a bunch of stuff. Who's our, our our friend, our active military friend, says doink doink game, which honestly is a very good description because that kick took a year and a half to fall on the <laughs> turf. Especially yeah. when I was watching when 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 it hit the crossbar, I was like, oh, it's going in off the crossbar. Why wouldn't it go in off the crossbar? Right. 100% uh, I thought it was going by in. Byronic Gyro, who's become a favorite, uh, he was yes. the one who had the funny joke, at Byronic Gyro 1, Grease the Poles, which we don't have any home playoff games this year. But Grease the Poles <laughs> anyway, because we're probably going to cause problems. Um, and then also, which is wonderful to me, uh, our cousin Vinny at the Big Kit, Sleeper Agent Cody, which I really wanted Chase Daniels to get into this game, so that it could have been Chase Daniel and Cody Parkey paying back the Eagles for their misplaced faith in them. And losing the game for the Bears, but it, uh, Parky was enough. <laughs> there, are, there are two in here with pictures attached that are that are pretty funny. Rodney Jackson at Buffalo Bernie says looks so familiar, and it's a picture of Sean McVay with his mouth like wide open in amazement. That's what really kicked things off for the Eagles. And then Al Fillingham at Al Fillingham, bye bye Bears, and it is a picture of everyone celebrating, and Alshon Jeffrey is looking to the crowd, waving to them. His former wanna, place of employment. Place of employment. You want another good picture one? Yeah. Matty Fran 77, Matteo Francisco. No no words. He used zero out of three words. But he's got <laughs> uh, Sandra Bullock's bird box blindfold uh, first yeah. off over Cody Parkey's head, which is unfair to Cody because the ball was tipped. But it doesn't change the fact that it's kind of funny. Uh, Ridgewood at Teddy underscore Ridgewood titled Scrubisky. That's interesting. I like that. Mesh Wait, what was the name that you were oh, going to call him? Oh, no, yeah, no, no, he, that was, yeah, Titchell Mubriski. That's what it was. That's- no, he's not at full Titchell level yet. I'll be very <laughs> interested to see what happens because there have been some who have suggested that the Bears are going to follow a similar uh, trajectory in 2019 as the Jaguars did in 2018 in terms of they have an inconsistent quarterback behind them. Um, right. They've got a lot of their success this season was predicated on defense, which is not a super sticky season to season strength like defense doesn't always carry uh into the next season as well i would argue that the biggest difference there is going to be the play designs of matt Nagy, who i really think is a tremendous young coach that's going to make a difference for the bears but titchell titchell is not yet into existence he's still mitch trubisky only barely he is not yet titchell Mubrisky. and and think about this too this is still because we talk about mitch trubisky a lot and we give him some crap this is still mitch trubisky's to sophomore's campaign it's his first year with this new offense. And listen, we t- I talked about first playoff star quarterbacks. First playoff star right. quarterbacks were 0-3 this year. I mean, yep. it's very, very difficult. Listen, you want to know who else lost his first playoff start? Nick Foles. You want to know who hasn't <laughs> lost a playoff start since? Nick Foles. <laughs> what a freaking hero. Oh, man. I'm telling you, it's really hard not to buy into this team, even as a fan. Not Golly, man. Just covering this team is an amazing experience. There's so many surprises around every corner, and they make you, they just pull you in, dude. They pull you in. We thought this team was dead. Dead. Dead, I tell you. And yet, here we are going into the divisional round playoff game against the New Orleans Saints. Bam. Admiral Krampus Porkins at Frozen with PH instead of an, R, uh, instead of an F says, parentheses, oh, when the birds, and parentheses, go marching in against the rules. I adjudicate mm. against this every time. No many, silliness, no messing around. I let Mm-mm. three syllables slide sometimes, but no, don't you dare. That's seven words. You didn't fool anybody by changing how you presented it. You watch yourself. Uh, and Guilty. then Mitchell at I'm not Jeffrey brings this up, which I think is is crucial to talk about. The new norm. Doug Peterson's such a good head coach. So good. 4-0 in the Set playoffs, baby. Team is impossibly 
well prepared, right? And like you, 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 they talk about what went into that fourth and two call and the amount of work that they went uh, that went into that call and, and the uh, the relationship that he's got with Foles to get that out there and the belief that he's got in Golden Tate, who obviously hasn't had a great tenure in Philadelphia. I mean, Doug's just a stellar, stellar head coach, man. What a fantastically coached game from Monday to to Sunday. You know what I mean? Just like in terms of preparation and then execution in the moment. Man, it's fun watching this team. It's fun watching Doug go. Remember, remember, many people were positive he sucked like a month ago, but it's fine. Yeah, and what's crazy is this is the second time he's done this with this team. When all was lost last year after Wentz went down, the one consistent strong voice was Doug Peterson. And I was shocked. With how calm and cool he was about everything. That's just who he is. Emotional intelligence, intelligence. baby. Let's go, Ben. He's like good. Chip Kelly with a heart. <laughs> Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kiss and Soul Live show here on BGN Radio. The Mike Quick approved and syndicated BGN Radio Kiss and Soul Live show. Shout out, Mike. What a tremendous game. What a tremendous time. We are beyond grateful, beyond thankful, beyond blessed to be back with you another week. As Nick Foles would say, at least one more week wearing the jersey, sitting in the seats behind the mic. We are with you for a week of preparation for the New Orleans Saints. Eagles will be playing in New Orleans next weekend in the divisional round of the playoffs. We will break down this game and the wonderful All-22 from the awful Soldier Field angle as it drops in the upcoming Monday and Tuesday. And then you can expect, of course, our two preview shows, New Orleans, uh, Offense New Orleans Defense, and all the matchups that come with it. Philadelphia is a team of destiny. They're going to have a stellar, wonderful game against the Saints, and we will have you ready to talk about it, to understand it, and to explain it patronizingly to your co-watchers. Please go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. At this point, we have like nine bajillion reviews because you guys have been wonderfully responsive. I'm very thankful for that. Continue to do so. We will continue to have the opportunities like the one I had today to, to go and cover the game. And we'll continue to generate the, the listenership and the followership that uh, gets everybody excited about the games, gets everybody knowledgeable about the games and ready to watch some Eagles football. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter. At Benjamin Solak, that's S-O-L-A-K. has been Michael Kist on Twitter. At Michael Kist NFL, that's K-I-S-T. I'm at 12%. I left my charger in the Soldier Field press box. So I got to wrap this up so I can get this to Mike before my computer dies. Thank you so much for listening. Survive. In advance, baby, the previous 17 weeks don't matter a lick. We all we got. Eagles are 1-0. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts check it out support for this podcast comes from smart water want to get a little more from every sip smart water alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure it's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings elevate how you hydrate and pick up a smart water alkaline today to learn more visit drinksmartwater.com support for this show comes from vanta Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks, it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. 
Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash vox for $1,000 off Vanta.